I'm Molly O'Connor. And I'm Sarah Connell Sanders. And you're listening to Pop It. This is the podcast for popping questions, popping bottles, and pop culture. This is episode 99. That's so crazy. Happy vacation also. Yeah, we're you on too. I know. That's why we're going to pop a bottle at three in the afternoon. Oh, uh, yeah. Don't tell what anybody. Are we, what do we have here? Bread oh, and butter. I a good pop. This is just like, you know, a nice $10 Pinot Noir. I'm sorry, Julia Oje. <laughs> uh, we really got to get back on our natural wine game over here. Let's I'm, see. I, listen, you know, I appreciate just like... <laughs> a nine to seventeen dollar bottle of wine, you know. Well, it does the job a lot of the time. Ooh, this is a very pretty color. The reason that my husband bought this is because we were able to get one of those heat lamps on yes. sale from Lowe's. They they went on sale. We had like a gift card from our wedding, and we're like, should we do it? Should we? Yeah. <laughs> should we go all in like outdoor dining those style? Those crazy restaurant ones. My yeah. mom has one of those. I burned myself on it's it. You have excellent. to be careful. Uh, so we we bought a bunch of wine and then we celebrated his dad's 72nd birthday under the little heat lamp. It's Lovely. Nice. Um, this is like pretty though. That's pretty. Lovely. Yep. <laughs> All right, so there has been a lot of pop culture news lately. Yeah. And Molly, I want I want the dish. We have thoughts. So I was thinking I'd start with the Free Britney stuff because yes. I, I listened to the Even the Rich mm-hmm. coverage of Free Britney, and then I watched the Hulu documentary that was produced by the New York Times. Once I saw that, I was like, oh, you just earned my credibility right there. And it's kind of <laughs> funny because if you look at the actual show on Hulu, it says like season one, episode six. Mm-hmm. So then I'm like, well, wait, what are all the other what are all the other episodes so about? I've watched a bunch of them. Yeah. And yeah, they're wonderful. Like there's one about a music artist who went viral but then went to prison. Just a, yeah, a lot of like stuff. new media coverage. And then cool. there are some about Brianna Taylor and, and mm-hmm. more salient yes. social issues. Okay, but I was thinking I'll kind of go through the timeline they cover with Britney and then mm-hmm. you can fill in some of my blanks and my questions. Yeah. So, obviously, we all remember Baby One More Time. Yeah. Brittany blew up. We were, I was in, like, sixth grade. You must have been, like, I was in third like, or fourth. Yeah. I think, like, third or – I think that's right. And it was a boy band era. So, she was sort of the first for me in this, like, teeny bopper – I was going to say women, but no, she was the first teeny bopper girl. She was a kid. And the paparazzi went crazy over her. The media coverage of her was really focused on her sexual relationships, particularly with her partner, who was from a boy band, Justin Timberlake of NSYNC. And I think that there was still a lot of mental health stigma at that time. I don't think in the mid-2000s we understood how the media culture, much like I would say the royals have experienced Mm -hmm. it in the UK, how it was negatively impacting these very talented young women in the spotlight. And their, right, their their overall health, in addition to their mental health, but also, you know, weight gain and loss and that kind of thing. Absolutely. I think that at the time, I'm trying to think of like earlier examples, like you can think of someone like Janet Jackson, not related unrelated to the Timberlake thing but like before that like think about how she was like a superstar in the 80s and 90s same with Madonna and they weren't they didn't get that same treatment that kind of all of a sudden I think came with the advent of like Y2K and the internet and TRL TR and all this stuff right so I think I mean I think that they were definitely 
hounded and stuff by paparazzi, but it wasn't the level that like these kids were getting where it was like Britney, Christina Aguilera, um, and that like kind of class of people. And I think the magazines and things were able to curate a weekly schedule for content Mm -hmm. rather than daily. And so with something like Total Request Live, which aired every day of the week, well, Monday through Friday, all of a sudden you had like a day-by-day level of coverage of these pop stars. Mm -hmm. I loved TRL. Me too. (laughs) That was part of the reason when I was like in high school, I was like, I want to go to college in New York City so I can go to TRL. I never went, not even once. I went to TRL once. (laughs) Actually, I went twice, I think, with my mom. Just like whenever we, like if we Mm -hmm. visited New York City, I was still a teenager. And one time, who was there? I can't remember. But one time, whoever was there, like looked down and waved. And and I was like, he waved at us. It was like, and now I can't remember who it was, which is so funny. But I do remember Britney's meltdown, for lack of a better term, when her mental health was put on full display. I was on a training trip with my swim team and um, we, I just remember us all watching it like in the airport. And um, when we got to the pool on the gym, the gym television, and it was just captivating. I think it was the same day the iPhone came out too, just to kind of give you a scope of what era it was. I think it was my senior year of high school. But in between... Baby One More Time in this, you have this like insane sort of like cataclysmic rise, right? Where Mm she has, um, so what was it? The first album and then she had the the Britney album. Is that the one that had Toxic? Because that like sort of like (laughs) was like crazy, like meteoric superstar. Oops, I did it again. Yeah, Oops, I did it again was the second album. That's right. Because people expected that she wouldn't Mm -hmm. have a follow-up that was as relevant uh, culturally as her debut. And yet Rolling Stone loved it. All these people loved it and have said it, it held the test of time. Yeah. And she's done these, like she did these like iconic magazine covers. There's one where she's like in a bathtub covered in diamonds. I think that was a Rolling Stone cover. Yeah. And she's um, very young, yep. too, which is kind of – it's difficult because, like, there's one in particular where she ends up in her childhood bedroom in a bra and the photographer shooting it. And initially she had expressed some discomfort. Her parents had certainly mm-hmm. expressed discomfort. Then she ends up alone in the room and these photos come out, you know, and it's cool. horrifying and surprising yeah. to her guardians at the time. Absolutely. Um, she stars in a movie, Crossroads. Of course. In 2003 that was – the, she's like the biggest star in America at this point. And I think as it got closer to the time of her sort of like breakdown, as we would say, a lot of kooky things kind of started happening around her, right? Where she got married to that guy, Jason, overnight in Las Vegas. Yeah, it was like a 24-hour like, like wedding. She got it an old. Yep. And you pointed out that she's really young too. And in 2008, when this kind of the big kind of break happened, she was – 25 like she was only 25 years old right so like she'd already lived so many lives yeah leading up to that point she was a kid like truly I didn't even realize that until like a week ago they were like yeah she was 25 in 2008 and I was like what (laughs) and I don't want to center Justin Timberlake in this but I do want to point out he came out with a music video for his song cry me a river um his first solo album really hadn't registered or at least InSync fans didn't like it as much as, mm-hmm. as I think he anticipated and then that video was what propelled him yeah. as a solo artist and do you want to do you remember the video yeah there was a Britney lookalike in it who was basically like cast as the you know villain of the video right it insinuates she cheated on mm-hmm. him which yeah <laughs> 
Right. And so you have that. And I know we mentioned Janet Jackson. So Mm -hmm. it bears saying that in his Super Bowl with her, she has a wardrobe malfunction. We don't know still really if it was intended or not. But she is then banned and vilified. And he's given an opportunity to perform again at the Super Bowl by himself. And he sings that song. And that drove me crazy. But that's right. That's 2004. I think this was all around like 2003, 2004 is like Crossroads comes out. They have broken up. He does the he does that album. Um, the Super Bowl is two thousand four. Yeah. So, and he's very coy too when people ask if he's had sex with his girlfriend, a young Britney Spears. Mm-hmm. Whereas she is asked again and again and needled about it and continues to say no, right? And even if they had been having sex, it's something private. And right. What a weird thing to ask like two teenagers or like you know right. people who are like twenty years old. Like, hey, are you guys? <laughs> You wouldn't even ask that of like Never. of like maybe close friends, but like not like even like acquaintances. You wouldn't be like, "Hey, are you uh, Do you guys having sex with your boyfriend?" Yeah, yeah like <laughs> what? Oh, well, so it's at this time where I remember seeing on the news her shaved head and her get carried out on like a yeah. stretcher. Yeah. She is involuntarily admitted to get psychiatric assistance. And that's when this conservatorship comes about. Yeah. And she didn't look well in those pictures, right? Like, she looked manic. She looked like something was going on. Someone also pointed out, or, like, people have pointed out, not, like, one individual person, but just in, like, the cultural sort of criticism of all this, that, like, her hair was something that had been constantly being touched and, you know, moved around and, like, done up and all this stuff. And so, like, that was, like, one thing I feel like she was controlling, right, where she's like, I'm getting rid of this. Because her hair was something that was always as, like, a celebrity of her stature. She always had people picking at it and doing all this kind of stuff with it. And so it was some kind of measure of control that I think she was looking for. So her father at this point comes back into the the picture and takes control of her estate. And they use this conservatorship, Mm. which is intended – typically for adults who have lost the ability to make informed decisions. So oftentimes it'll be like somebody with a cognitive disability who is inheriting money. The court will appoint a conservator so that they're not defrauded um, or there's not like some scammer that comes along and takes the money of somebody who is an adult with a cognitive disability, you know? And Brittany is still capable at this point of having world tours, having a Vegas residency, making millions upon millions of dollars but her dad is now in control of all of her decisions and taking a cut. Yes. Um, the level of work that Brittany's doing at this time is like not consistent with what her dad claims in the original filing, which is that she has a dementia-related illness, which it seems totally crazy. Because if you see her, even in footage like from the last like 10 years or so where she's like on tour, not just on stage, but off stage, she seems like pretty with it. You know, kind of like she always had sort of a personality of being sort of like spacey, but not like she, if you're able to remember songs and dance routines to the, like at the level that Britney is, that is not consistent with whatever her dad is pushing. One thing they draw upon in the documentary too, is just that she makes creative decisions a lot. And they were like, you know, to make creative decisions that do generate millions and millions of dollars Mm -hmm. and huge success and a fan base and sold out tours you probably aren't going to be of the level that you need your father, who at that point had been estranged from the family yep. for a while too, yep. to come back in. It just he doesn't seem like a trustworthy character. Absolutely not. And I'm glad you brought up the creative decisions because 
when you think about Britney's following and her fan base, obviously now it's kind of blown up, but there had always been obvious. And obviously she had like baseline fans, but like her real true, like Britney, like kind of fanatics or like stands as we might call them from like who have kind of stood by her forever. They were all part of that, not just because they loved, you know, her music or whatever, but they just loved her whole like thing. Right. Mm -hmm. It was the aesthetic that she gave out. It was like the style with which she approached things in a very sort of like delicate and kind way. I think she always had that sort of like childish element to her where you think of like the way she even though even when she looked like really sexy, like when she would speak to people or anything like that, she kind of came across as very sort of not like naive, but just like sweet. Right. Yeah. And they continue to emphasize that and mm-hmm. everything I've read, everything I've watched, just how kind she was. Yeah. And how, especially like a child celebrity, I think of Justin Bieber, mm-hmm. went through an ass face. Right. Yeah. And we understand that we kind of forgive that. And Justin right. Bieber, I can't imagine what it was like to grow up in the spotlight. Absolutely. But Brittany was always, always kind. And she always had to be like on. Right. She could never. Mm -hmm. That's what you're saying, like where we would give her a lot of flack for like even when she did the umbrella, smash the car with the umbrella. But it's like she was having a situation. So they talked to that. What's singular? Paparazzo. Yes, I think so. So they talked to the paparazzo who she swung the umbrella at. Mm -hmm. And he's unforgivable. He's just clueless. Like he has no clue. Mm -hmm. I think that what he's done would be invasive. He thinks of it as his job. He like keeps harping on the fact that oh, we had a friendly relationship. And I'm like, yeah, because she was being followed by you. Wouldn't right. you rather that was a congenial relationship? Like, right. Yeah, it's it's ugly the way that we treated celebrities in the mid-2000s. And we're all reckoning with that. But one big question I have is like, in this internet age where we're pushing out so much content, have we just heightened the level of right. coverage or are we diluting it? I think that's a very good question. I think it's really interesting because I look at the kind of the stars now who are going through maybe not necessarily the same thing, but similar things. Mm -hmm. And I think about the empathy like at large with which we approach those things. Obviously, there are still people who look at someone like like Demi Lovato, right? Mm -hmm. She had a heroin overdose two years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess maybe three years ago now. The way that people looked at that, some people looked at it the exact same way as Britney and they were like, oh, she's crazy. Like this girl, you know, she can't deal with her life. Like she should, whatever, you know, just being jerks. But then there was other coverage I read. Like I remember reading a People Magazine article about what happened to Demi. And at the bottom of it, it was like helplines for addiction. And then there was information about like how like you, how people could access Narcan. Like from their local, right, like from local healthcare centers. And I just thought that that was like such a dramatic change from the way that we would view, even like I'm thinking of like someone maybe who would have a similar like a hair, like heroin addiction, right? Like Mm -hmm. Courtney Love or someone. Like even the difference between like 10 years of like having a young star deal with that, we are heightening it in a way, but I think it's in some ways a more compassionate view. I agree. And I don't always know that, these these stars have control over their right. social media. But that's one thing where Britney has started to post on Instagram mm-hmm. and TikTok and people are really scrutinizing every detail, like asking, it's almost QAnon level where they're like, yes. is she hiding a secret message? Is this a call yep. for help? And to me, it's just a broader picture. And I do think like for myself, you know, this is an age where everyone 
everyone probably has a picture of themselves that they don't want the world to see. Yeah. So that for me is part of the reason I think I put so much out on the internet. I'm like, you know what? I want to be in control of it. I want there to be so much of me out there that should something bad ever come out or that, you know, makes me feel vulnerable. There's a lot of other stuff to balance. Absolutely. There's an episode of Veep actually like where there's one thing that's going to leak. So they just decide to like take like stacks of documents (laughs) and redact some of it, but then just like leak a bunch of it. Right. Because then the, you know, then the reporters have to go through and find whatever that one thing was. Mm -hmm. But it's that idea where like it works. It's the idea where like you put so much out there, maybe people will stop looking so closely at each and everything. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I do, I think Britney Spears is not trying to send us secret messages, but I think she's being taken advantage of by people in her own camp. I think that there is a middle ground. There are people who are like, Britney has no control over her Instagram, people are writing scripts for her, doing this, this, and this. And then there are, there are I just read um from someone who was like briefly an assistant for someone who was in that circle who was like, no, Britney makes the post. She wants to like relate with people. Mm-hmm. And I think there must be some kind of middle ground there. Like, I don't think that it's like, you know, she's there being like, go dance in front right. of this camera. I do think, and even sometimes like in the way that she speaks in her posts, it comes across in that way that we were talking about, like it's very genuine and very much like she really does want to relate to people and so maybe it's like a weird situation where like they are kind of making her do it but it's like she's taking advantage of the situation because she knows it's the only way she can connect with fans i don't know i think there must be some kind of middle ground though between the two like conspiracy theories right of, oh like, or yeah, just whatever sure. like and when she does lapse into this like 14 year old's voice i yeah. think a lot of times people get stuck in the moment or the age where they experienced great trauma and for her I think she was sexualized at that age and she's kind of stuck there in many ways and she's working through that I'm sure but is she working through that on her own terms because if not it's really hard to do work on yourself I think if someone else is telling you you have to absolutely um or if you or if you are not given like the full breadth of like treatment or whatever you need to like work through it right Mm -hmm. um I have also heard though that she's very shy Mm-hmm. speaking like one-on-one with her um and this is true of just like I've heard this from you know people who know her and have spoken about her but also just people who have like met her like in a one-off situation where they're like yeah I work backstage and she's like super sweet and just like very very shy and so I think that's part of it is she has that sort of element to her personality that people don't expect because like you're a superstar but I think a lot of people don't realize that when those lights are on you can't see anyone in the audience mm-hmm. you know so it is a different, a whole different thing. I always thought that about Mariah Carey as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Mariah Carey has that thing with butterflies. Yeah. And I've always thought about the way that Tommy Mottola, who was a record executive that she was very briefly married to, like when she was like 20 years old, really took advantage of her and was awful to her and sort of like did something to her psyche in a way that I always thought she was kind of carrying with her. Mm-hmm. And I think that she I'm, just wrote a book that yeah. talks a lot about that. Yeah. And I, I love Mariah so much, but I think it is just like a similar, there's a parallel there to like the situation that Brittany was in at a slightly younger age, but that definitely, I think that they're carrying those things. I might have to know? audiobook that. I did the Jessica Simpson memoir on audiobook and it was really nice to like hear her own voice but yeah Mariah Carey would yeah. be good good working out music yes music uh, well um <laughs> the only other question I had for you about Britney well I guess there's a couple things but one is the relationship between the father of her children Kevin Federline mm-hmm. and the father Jamie Spears yeah not good 
Well, so you mentioned too that Jamie, who is Brittany's dad, had been estranged from the family for a while. Obviously, he came back into the picture. And I think that once Brittany was under the conservatorship, her relationship, her custody of the kids was like downgraded. And so Kevin Federline has, I think it's like 90-10 now, 90% custody. But the kids do spend some time with their mother. And there was an occasion not long ago where Kevin Federline filed a restraining order for his on behalf of his kids against Jamie Spears because he alleged abuse, essentially. And that the older boy, Sean, was like, you know, he put his hands on him in some way. Jaden was present for it, who's the younger son, and that he didn't feel that his kids were, like, safe there. So that, I think, is, like, adds a whole level to it where it's, like, how are her kids kind of being held over her head by Jamie, maybe, or whatever. Like, there's some kind of strange relationship there. And I just have to wonder, like, how much Brittany, like, really does value having her dad around and having her dad in charge. I just question that framing so much, you know, of like, oh, he's sick. So they had access to certain people for this documentary, Mm -hmm. but they don't have the family speaking. They have Felicia, her handler, who I remember reading about in Rolling Stone when she was 15 (laughs) or 16. But they do show one really telling scene. And it's she's been doing this Vegas residency from 2013 to 2017. And then she signs an extension of the deal. She's going to do a new show. And she's there for the announcement. She walks down the stairs to announce it and just walks right past everyone. And you can tell, like, the look on her face, she's just like, I'm not going to be monetized or whatever. She's like, I didn't sign up for this. And she's like, yep, you wanted me here. I was here, but I'm not making some sort of speech or whatever. You know, she just silently walks down the stairs and walks right past all the cameras. And she cancels this, like, stint in Vegas Mm -hmm. and then says it's because of her father's health in a statement. Yeah. So this was the only other thing I wanted to mention is there was this whistleblower that came forward who said they were paralegal. And they claim that, you know, her father's health is not the real reason that she's canceled. Do you know anything else about this? It's just kind of confusing. I just think, right, I think it is a very odd way to frame the cancellation. I can't speak to, obviously, why it was canceled unless she was very adamant that she just didn't want to do it anymore, right? And then they have had to figure out some way to frame it. But, like, there's all kinds of speculation out there, right? Like, people are wondering, like, because of, like, her ability to perform at the level she does, which is, frankly amazing right Mm -hmm. it is impressive even now it's not maybe the same level it was in 2002 but it's incredible in a vegas show that's that's crazy right it's a lot of work it's so much work and so people wonder like because she has fought the conservatorship so many times like is there something going on where like is she medicated and is her medication being like messed with on Mm -hmm. the times where she has hearings or the times where she has like cognitive assessments or something like is there something going on where just like no one would be able to detect right Mm -hmm. and that's obviously speculation like I have Mm -hmm. no idea what's going on but I do I do think in all of this as far as like even outside of just like conspiracy theories and all this stuff like I do think that she's not in the right situation Right. Um, and it is like a disability rights issue. I did a post about this last week because it's not just Brittany, right? Mm-hmm. It's like this idea that like because someone maybe has a mental illness or they have one situation where something goes wrong that at least in the state of California, it's conservatorship. It's different. It's like called different stuff in different parts of the country. But 
it's a situation where like you literally can get your actual like civil rights sort of taken and given to someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do think that in Brittany's situation, is she unfit enough that her father gets to decide literally everything about her work situation, make choices for her? Well, then she shouldn't be put to work at the level that she is. Exactly. That's the quandary I think that people are kind of dealing with where they're like, if she is not capable of making her own decisions in her, like as an adult in her life, then why is she on stage producing like the level of performance that she is? And at some point with the Vegas residency, he started to make a cut of close to a hundred grand a week, right? Yeah. And so it just became really questionable where are his motives. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you mentioned ableism, though. I was telling these students, I was like, this is a term I didn't even really know about yeah. until mostly, honestly, love posting more and more about ableism. Yes. I'm like, this is something that needs to be part of my vocabulary. But they had asked for um, a lesson about Marsha P. Johnson, like requested it. I love that. How cool are these 12-year-olds? And we were talking about trans rights. And I said to them during the lesson, like, this is something that probably if you had asked me five years ago, I wouldn't have totally known how to define intersectionality in a way that was like helpful and informed or I felt confident in. And then I said, I feel that way right now about ableism. And it's something that I'm trying to learn more and more Mm -hmm. about. But that brings me to the Golden Globe nominations. Yes. It, I mean, it's ridiculous, It's always right? weird, yes. Who, the, the who is Globes? the Hollywood foreign press? Yes, the Golden Globes <laughs> are always strange. Just as, like, just to put that, like, to start with that, they're always weird. It's always, they're always fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, the Hollywood well, f- part of it is because that's a party. It's a big party. And Usually. it's a party. It's a party in the way that the Oscars are not. Part of that is because of the level of, like, prestigiousness that like the Oscars are looked upon because you are voted by like your peers right I thought you were gonna say the level of champagne (laughs) Um, same with like SAG right that's the Screen Actors Guild so it's like the actors are voting for actors people who are in it and they're voting on something that they're very familiar with yeah that also might create bias but less opportunity for tampering yes and it's also different from for instance like film critics awards are taken pretty seriously right like Mm -hmm. because that is like groups or coalitions of critics either regionally or whatever with a certain point of view who are film critics. Mm -hmm. The Hollywood Foreign Press Association is literally a group of like 90 to 110 members of the press who cover, who cover Hollywood, which doesn't necessarily have to mean criticism or anything like that, who are foreign. They're just like obscure. (laughs) It's like a bunch of journalists from other countries. And their membership (laughs) has never been, at least to my knowledge, their membership has never been fully transparent. Um, but it was it's always been, it's like a party, right? And it's they do film and TV, so it's a whole thing. And it is, it's a lot of fun to watch because people do really tend to let loose at the Golden Globes. Right. It is kind of a time where people have a lot of fun. Um, they do, they're the only like major award show like this that does like for film, they do, they separate out comedy and drama. So there's like a chance for someone to win a like a, you know, what is considered a higher level award who maybe is in a comedy film who wouldn't get that recognition. Right. But yeah, it's kind of like not, it doesn't mean anything. (laughs) They're very strange. They love to nominate. There are like certain people they love and there are certain types of people they love. So people that show up, (laughs) it's not even just that. It's like, that must be part of it. They like that. They like to try to get people to show up. That's Mm -hmm. the thing. So they will nominate like the the tourist, which was a movie with Johnny Depp and Angelina Jolie. Mm -hmm. That was not good. But, like, they nominate that for a bunch of things because they like the idea of nominating Johnny Depp. And Ange- yes. <laughs> well, that's, like, a different – so that's a different type of – yes. They they have, like, different ways that they do stuff. Yes. The tourists, they nominate because they want those people to come. 
Um, burlesque is one where like, that's where the musical comedy side becomes like, so kind of crazy, right? Like anything, if it has like a song, if two people sing a song in a movie, it's a musical. Um, and it might have nothing to do with comedy, right? So like Les Miserables, the like very dramatic musical film is nominated alongside like, you know, whatever comedies came out that year, which seems a little the spooky. Prom. I mean, that was, yeah. Okay. So let's talk about a couple of the yes, ones in that... particular. So the reason I mentioned ableism yes. was because they had nominated Kate Hudson for a movie called Music. And all of these really esteemed critics that I respect said things like, I never heard of music until just now or whatever. Oh, yeah. And and that's why I was really like taken aback. And I thought maybe they just wanted so... Kate Hudson's participation. Oh, definitely. Oh, boy, though. Um, so, so what is music? Music is a film. I think I started hearing about it maybe like a month or two ago where the first like trailer came out for it and it is a film that Sia like the musician Sia essentially conceptualized and directed and wrote all these songs for and it is about a nonverbal autistic I think she's like supposed to be like like late like older teen whose mother and grandmother are addicts or the mother's an addict the grandmother passes away so now her guardian is her older sister who Mm -hmm. is also a recovering addict who is played by Kate Hudson um, the nonverbal autistic teen is played by uh, a non-autistic, or we would say allistic, that's the word, for like someone who is not an autistic person, um, who is an allistic, like able-bodied dancer, right? Professional dancer, Maddie Ziegler. Um, and so people initially looked at it and were like, oh, it's like kind of weird that you cast this person to play this role. Sia sort of doubled down on it and was just like, well, you know, she's so brilliant because she has been Sia's kind of muse for years now. She's starred in the Chandelier video, and then she sort of, like, was Sia's, like, avatar in public. Um, oh, because Sia has anxiety, so she doesn't want to be yes. seen. And now she's doing all these interviews for this film, I think, because it's not her music or music performance, mm-hmm. maybe. But I remember – sorry to it's, no, it's backtrack, fine. but the SNL star from Bridesmaids, Kristen Wiig, yes, performed, right? Yes. Yes, as Sia, that's right. I forgot about that. I don't remember if it was an award show or what. But I think she, it was an award show. She performed a dance, and Sia was like singing in a corner yep. to represent Sia's inner child, and it was it was really like kind of moving. She does, yeah, she's done cool stuff, and I think that that's why people were so taken aback by this movie, um, because so it started with the, those rumblings, and then you know she didn't really have a great response to it. But now the movie has like been released to the press and I have read some reviews of it that are just absolutely like withering. Like uh, Matt Zoller cites, who's a critic I really love, was like, I don't even know why she did this because it's not only offensive on the level of like treating an autistic, like a nonverbal autistic person, like they don't actually have thoughts, any thoughts. Yeah. And I'll get to that in a second, but also just like it's bad. (laughs) He was like, it's a terrible movie. But yes, yeah, so the, the plot is essentially like, and the reason it's a musical is that this girl whose name is Music, who is a nonverbal autistic teenager, has all these big show numbers take place in her mind. But the problem, I guess, is that none of those musical numbers actually really relate to any of the plot or like move anything forward. Interesting. It's not her inner thoughts. It's just like big musical productions for the sake of having them. And I, I saw an interview with Sia where she was being interviewed by a person who essentially was essentially like compared nonverbal autistic people to like set dressing. 
wasn't the exact word she used. I think she said like something more specific, like a lampshade. Oh. But regardless, see, it kind of just like went with it and answered the question. And so a lot of people are rightfully upset, autistic and not, because it just seems like she made a movie to make a movie and make herself look great. Like, I don't know. But I did, I will tell you that in all the reviews I read, Kate Hudson is, they all say she's good. She's fine. <laughs> They're like, she has a well-intentioned performance. And so, I love her. I love right? her too. I love yeah. Kate Hudson. And that's when why I, yeah. I was like, oh, she was in a movie this year. Yeah. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, everyone has thoughts about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, one of the things I thought was really interesting, someone said like, um, she now has like well-earned wisdom. Like she's like, <laughs> she's the older state, the elder statesman. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's kind of a mess. But it is, that is the type of thing where like they would pick out Kate Hudson, right? Mm-hmm. From a, from a weird, bad musical movie. It's very it's oddly typical of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. All right. So one thing I thought they got right, mm-hmm. I watched Promising Young Woman. Yes. And I, <laughs> I've i not been moved by a movie like that in many, many years. Tell us um, more, Sarah. It's the story of a sexual assault and the story of two women who are very good friends and connected. And when one of them is hurt by a well-respected man in their community, Mm -hmm. the other one is incapacitated. And she sort of gives up all the things that made her her in order to seek revenge. And so it's a sad, terrible story of sacrifice, but then it also has comedic moments. It's visually very stunning and beautiful. Like, it reminds me of Sofia Coppola a little bit. Yeah. But... God, it's it's just heart-wrenching. Yeah. I haven't watched yet, but I have heard, especially about the stylistic, like, the visuals are very cool. And, and the music. They choose to use Paris Hilton's single. Is it Stars Are Blind? Yes. I love that song. And it speaks <laughs> volumes, again, about what we were saying in respect to Britney Spears. Right. I think, it's, I think that that's supposed to be a message about the commodification of women, right? Or right. women's bodies, maybe. I will say that it is directed by Emerald Fennell who gives a wonderful performance on The Crown as Camilla Shand or Camilla um, Parker Bowles or now the Duchess of Cornwall. (laughs) She's Prince Charles's wife now, but she gives a great performance on that show. And I remember because her name is memorable, Emerald Fennell. And I remember seeing her name on The Crown and then Mm -hmm. I saw like directed and I was like, wait, (laughs) is this the same person? So it's really cool. It's her first picture. She's a young woman. So I think that's pretty awesome. And it's angry in a way that I think, see, I always ask this question of people. I did it to you in the Telegram or in Worcester Magazine this week where I was like, what's your favorite female friendship? Because there are so few that are real to me or Mm -hmm. seem written or directed by women who have been in friendships. And so when you see one, you're like, ooh, this is gold. Mm -hmm. Um, I really like this new show that is called Firefly Girls or Firefly Lane. (laughs) It's with With Catherine Catherine Heigl. No, it got panned by some of my favorite (laughs) critics, including NPR's Linda Holmes, who I am always on board with. But it was just this love between the two women that really resonated with me. And you'll see that in this movie. And it's in such a a sad way. And it has such a wry humor behind all the sadness that, like, I don't know. It's still $20 on Amazon, but it it was worth every penny. That's that. I sort of think that's that grim British humor, right? Mm -hmm. There's always that bit of grimness. Um, Firefly Lane, I did see compared to Beaches. So if you are a fan of Beaches... Watch that show. Let's let's talk about I did just mention the crown. And there's a lot of big news going on with um 
some members of the royal family. I don't know anything about this. I saw she won a lawsuit. Meghan Markle won a lawsuit. Yeah. Um, one of those like awful British papers published a letter that she had written to her father. And, <laughs> I just saw your note on yes, the outline. <laughs> and, um, you know, which they was absolutely a violation of her privacy. And so she won a, she won like, I think it was like the first like step. I don't know. You know, it was like, you know how those things are always like a victory for whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically she sued the paper for violation of privacy and she won. And Hugh Grant has been my favorite person an outspoken, <laughs> um, an outspoken, I guess, defender of the rights to privacy of, of celebrities and famous people, but also just an outspoken critic of the British media in general, going back to their phone tapping, wiretapping, their like phone tapping case that's just a few years ago. But anyways, yes, I saw that story came out that was like, Meghan Markle wins this thing. And he was like, excellent, awesome. Aww, and I thought it was very cute. I did watch Paddington too. Yes, I did tell Sarah and everyone. I told everyone to watch Paddington too. And Sarah watched it. It was perfect. And I had like a bad dental procedure that morning. So it was really, it did brighten my day. Is it? Doesn't you Grant play a wonderful villain? Oh my God. Who so knew? He's great. He like imitates all these mannequins too. So he plays many characters. <laughs> Paddington is kind of cute in the same way my puppy is. And yes. so I kept being like, Wendy, it's you, it's you. And then there's this one scene, and I understand it is not an accurate in any way depiction of the prison system. The same, yes, yeah. But Paddington's in charge of doing the laundry and washes a red sock with all the uniforms. So for the rest of the movie, all the prisoners are dressed in pink. And it just made me laugh it's every so time good. they came on yeah. screen. And I loved all of his, like, prison friends. <laughs> you guys are going to be like, what happens in Paddington, too? I'm oh, telling it's you, it's excellent. a wild ride. But, yes, it's very sweet. And and it's, like, a good movie. Like, it's well put together. It's funny. Oh, But do you think that it's sweet? That machine gun Kelly wears Megan Fox's blood around his neck. Blood. I didn't even realize this. I knew that they were together for a long time. And I didn't realize until you had mentioned it. That is crazy. He just posted on Valentine's Day. So just a couple days ago. I don't even get. So where do celebrities go to get each other's blood? I don't know. Because Billy Bob Thornton and Angelina very famously did. Yeah. It was like they also They They were super weird. Paintings painted with each other's blood hanging in their home. They were so odd. I don't know, but our buddy Mike Wardo saw the two of them. He was at a party playing poker with Machine Gun Kelly and Megan Fox the other day. And he's like, yeah, man, she's not that hot to my husband. And I'm like, shut up, Wardo. Yeah, how dare you? <laughs> um, but Megan yeah. Fox is another he one. He said they were like normal people. Yeah, she was, I, like. I feel like she was like really dragged through the mud in a way that she should not have been for many years. For being beautiful. Yeah, basically for being like really hot. Right. And she's spoken out about that. And she talked about how early on in her career, she didn't label herself a feminist because she didn't feel like women had her back mm-hmm. in. And I think that that was true of at least the media for a long time where she got that perception. And she's talked lately about how she's like come around on different things and kind of like looked back on her own experiences. But that is very um, weird. Well, OK, so it is just <laughs> like the photos seem to me like it was not a vial like you get yeah. drawn at the nurse's right? office. <laughs> like it was like a drop of blood kind of like. So a I guess fossil. you could do it yourself, right? But uh, I've been the cut did a great episode of their podcast this week about kink and they had mm. Roxanne Gay speak who mm. wrote um, Bad Feminist. And she's hunger. awesome. Yeah, she's yeah. so great. And she was raped when she was in high school. And so she engages in this 
as a way to control the experience she had so that she can have like a very violent sexual experience but have choreographed it ahead of time versus the rape, which she had no control over. Yes, there's the one of the main tenets of like practicing kink and like S&M and all that stuff, I believe, is like that there is always have there always has to be consent from all parties involved, um, whether that's two people, whether that's more than two people. But the whole thing of it is that it's very important that that's part of it because otherwise it becomes something that is just violence. So the reason I bring it up is the Army Hammer stuff mm-hmm. really is unsettling. So I think if this Megan Fox vial of blood news had come out at a different time, we'd be like, ha ha, isn't yeah. that weird? But because it's just come out that this like very handsome man very from the social network seeming. and yeah. what's the movie with timothy chalamet yeah call me by your name he's it, a great actor yeah that he's he's rotten he's rotten he's twisted these yes. relationships he had with women into something that was abusive and manipulative mm-hmm. in the name of kink and yes. he did not have their permission yes that's absolutely what it it appears to be the case right is that seems like on more than one occasion um turn it into not like a hostage relationship, but almost like like people felt like they couldn't leave the relationship that had gotten to a level where they were uncomfortable. He expressed a desire at one point to like cook a woman's rib cage or something. Yes. And I don't know how serious he was about that. That's, that's the part crazy. that's difficult where it's <laughs> yeah. all like, well, the part that's difficult is that they have come out, right? And said like, it was abusive. Right. But also, yeah. Because it goes way beyond. Well, and wouldn't the threat of something like that give you fear of leaving the relationship? Right. Like, I have, there's a movie that I love called um, Take This Waltz. And it has Seth Rogen and Michelle Williams and Luke Kirby in it. And there's like a part where like the two of them, the uh, Michelle Williams and Seth Rogen's characters are married and they say stuff to each other that's like, I love you so much. I'm going to melon ball your eyes out and cook them but, but like that's a joke yeah. right and like that's funny like where you're expressing you have that sort of like relationship with someone where like that's where you're at um I love that line I think it's mm-hmm. so funny but that's not that's like very distinctly not what this was <laughs> well okay so to bring it full circle that's another reason why I do think that this age of social media is different because you get more context right mm-hmm. if I hear Seth Rogen saying that in a video or a picture or right. any number of ways that we have access now to celebrities, like I know it's a joke, but yep. if I read it in a one-off interview, it might not come off the same way. Right. There's so much that does get lost in translation, I think, or like, right, decontextualized. I think Twitter, Twitter in many ways has been a really cool and useful tool for activating you know, movements and for communicating in ways that people couldn't communicate before. But then there are other times where it's like, oh, like you read one thing, even a thread on Twitter, it's not conducive to actually getting the whole story, right? Or satire can just be lost. Yes, it's very tricky. Um, I do just want to mention, because we did talk about Meghan Markle. Please. She is having another baby. <gasps> yeah, yeah. I, that. I meant to say that before. Yes, I'm very excited. She had a miscarriage last summer. But yes, on Valentine's Day, they release a little, a very cute little picture. She looks like she's like a few months along. Um, but yeah, and I think that's great for them because I just want them to be happy in whatever life they have my, chosen. <laughs> my Valentine's joy came from Worcester's own egg roll lady. Oh, yes. 
I, God, Molly, I love her so much. She is the best. We had dinner with her once, and it was, like, really special, it the two so of us. It was special. But I have had the pleasure of talking to her many, many times mm-hmm. over the last year. She was a quarantine friend. Like, I was yeah. saying the other day, it's so hard to make quarantine friends. She's a quarantine buddy. I feel like I met a spiritual guide. Absolutely. But, yeah, she is a part of a group um, that history calls the boat people. Yeah. I didn't know anything about this. And then I started like looking up all the the horrible for to report. Yeah. So articles Sarah, Sarah and things. wrote a beautiful love story for Worcester magazine, which my mom texted me to say, Everyone loves Sarah's Aww. story about Egg Lady. God, she's a special horse. <laughs> well, she and is. her husband is really special. Yes. I have I have I'm like, yes, I have not met him, but I, I assume that if he is married to her. I know I knew a little bit. I knew, like, that that stuff had happened, like, that there were mm-hmm. re- refugees from Vietnam. But can you tell us a little bit about just, like, what you found Yeah, so when you were reporting? It was super difficult for people to leave Vietnam between 1979 and 1992. And so... Which is, like, post-war yeah. time, right? There were these, like, really intricate plots hatched to rig up fishing boats to be able to travel to places like Malaysia and the Philippines and to China. And um, she found her way onto one of these boats alone as a woman, which is terrifying. The more I read about it, it's just, like, 10% of the people who went on these journeys died. Either they were lost at sea, they starved, they were dehydrated, or they were killed by pirates. And... A lot of them were women, and there were all the stories that I typed in, Molly. It was all just about rape, and that was horrible. Yeah. And so to talk to this woman who's so sweet and charming and, like, innocent and in love with Worcester. And to kind of imagine. And realize, like, no, she's lived a hundred more lives than you, Sarah. Right. Right. To sort of imagine. You think she's so innocent. She knows more than you'll ever know. Yeah. It was really special. And she found love and found her way to Worcester. And we're really, really glad to have her. And some of the things that she said, even the things that she says when you're talking to her, right? Like when we were at dinner, I was just like, just, she's just so fun to be around and she makes you feel good, right? Yeah. It's not just like fun. It's like, it's like enriching to your life. Like it feels nice to be with her because she works so hard to make everyone feel great. Mm -hmm. Um, But there was one thing that she said um, because it was sort of like a Valentine's Day story and she she has sort of like a message to give to people who like don't have love in their life or who feel lonely or feeling, you know, not great at Valentine's Day. And she says, I extend my heart to you and give you my love for love comes in many shapes and forms. And I just thought that was so beautiful because I think that first of all, I think that's very true. I think um, we do prioritize romantic love in a way that we don't need to, right? Certainly love does come in many shapes and forms, but I also just thought like for someone who, like you were saying, has had such a complex relationship to life, right? Mm-hmm. A complex relationship to her journey is, I just thought was so beautiful and I thought was a really nice um, sentiment. So, oh my God. Yeah. She's one of the most wise people I've ever yeah, met in my life. She's and great. So she must get off work pretty late from her business. She owns a restaurant. Well, I said that she's sometimes there. You said she's sometimes until there until like two or three, three in the morning. Egg rolls. And her husband has a full time job and he goes and he helps her. <laughs> they're amazing. Yeah, and they're so she cute. lately, because we've been in communication where I was like, mm-hmm. can you 
give me your wedding photo or, can yeah. I, you know, she's been like, oh, I'll just drop it off after work. I don't want you to come out at 11 o'clock. And so she'll come <laughs> here just to my like front porch at 11. Yeah, just drop. And my puppy loves her so much. Like we'll come to her always first and just loves to cuddle with her and I think dogs are a great litmus test (laughs) yeah oh absolutely I agree you know she's special and I really like that and her daughters too are amazing people yes I've Um, only met one of them but Gwen seemed yeah has started really really a chocolate covered strawberry business she has they're really good. Oh, that's Gwen. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize that that was like the Gwen who was yes, doing because I was posting about them. But oh my, oh God. that's delightful. So anyway, we if you haven't been to the Egg Roll Lady yet, yes, please, please go. Absolutely, it do. took me too long it's to find so that. Good. Yep. And at the risk of sounding like like obviously we know she well, and I guess that's the whole point, right? Is like we don't want to deify her because that's not fair either. It's like right. she's a person. But it's – and that, I think, makes it even more valuable to, like, read her story and to know. So if you are looking to know, like, where she kind of came from in her own love story, highly recommend reading Sarah's Valentine's Day yeah. article. I just think she's so loving and smart given what she's been through. And yeah. I imagine – I mean, it's hard to imagine or put yourself in her yeah. place. But oh, I might God. have a lot of residual anger. I might be like that girl from Promising Young Woman you and just Sarah. want revenge. Yes. And instead, she has just manifested all this love for our city. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it. really beautiful. All right. I've been Sarah. I've been Molly. And this is Pop It. Pop It. 99. We got to figure out what we're going to do. I know. <laughs>